You're listening to a gospel-centered, Bible-based sermon from St. John Lutheran Church in Sterling, Nebraska by Pastor Kevin Arndt. Our first reading is from Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7b. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Here ends the reading. The epistle is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to, to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Here ends the reading. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter, beginning at verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, 
every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowds asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated and we'll sing our sermon hymn on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist Cry. Grace to you and mercy and peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. The text will be mainly the gospel reading from Luke chapter 3, where we hear John the Baptist crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. We were told he was going to be saying this oh, 400 years earlier in the Old Testament. Malachi prophesied it. 400 years before that, Isaiah prophesied it. In, in our gospel reading, he's actually quoting Isaiah. And in our Old Testament lesson, Malachi is speaking about this John the Baptist coming. In the Old Testament reading for today, Malachi, it's the last prophet in the Old Testament. In our English Bible, it's the last book of the Old Testament and it's the end of the prophets. Then there's 400 years of silence where they didn't hear anything from God. But the last thing that was spoken was a prophecy, multiple prophecies throughout the book of Malachi about John the Baptist who would be coming as the forerunner of Jesus and then Jesus coming and what Jesus was gonna do. In the Old Testament we see, uh, the reading for today, we see that he's gonna Come, you know, they're longing for this day. All through Malachi, God asks a series of questions to the people, and they ask him a series of questions, and he puts them on the spot, and they're saying, you know, when are you going to do some justice? When, you know, when are we going to be avenged? You know, you're, you're, not, you're an absentee God, is what they're accusing him of. And, and he said, well, when he comes, then we'll see about that. If, if uh, there is justice in the world, then, then you'll know. We'll deal with that question. But will you be able to endure that day when he comes? Will you be able to stand? You think you will, but I'm telling you, you're not. You are not prepared. That is the message that Malachi is saying is the case for the Israelite people. That's the message that John the Baptist is implying in his message. That's the message that Jesus is assuming is so and that's why he's calling them also. John and Jesus both 
Repent, 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 for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the first words out of Jesus' mouth in his first sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is the message for Advent for us every year. Advent means to come. What's coming? Jesus. So we're celebrating his first coming as a baby in the manger. That gets the main amount of our focus, largely, I think, driven by our economy and commercialism and materialism. But as Christians, Lutherans, in a liturgical church year, we also just as much focus on preparing for his second coming. And that preparation is done with repentance, self-examination and repentance. We've been talking about that actually not just last week, but at the tail end of, of our last church year when it ended um, Sunday after Thanksgiving. <coughs> We don't always like to hear that message of repent. We don't like to picture God as a judge. And yet, he flat out says in the Old Testament, um, who can stand on that day? I'm coming like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap, a purifier of, of silver, and I'm going to put you on trial, and I will quickly testify against you. That's God talking. I'm going to testify against you. We are, as people who are children born in grace, we like to consider Jesus coming not to testify against us, but coming to testify on our behalf, coming to be our advocate, our court defender. And he is that too. But he also is this. And we, we do poorly if we just heed the one voice and not the other, if we think I don't have to listen to the voice that says repent because it's uncomfortable or because I don't agree with the thing he tells me I need to repent from, then we really don't need him as a defender because we don't think we're guilty. We think we can stand before the Lord on that day. He's saying, who can stand before that day, before him? Who can endure it? No one. Well, no one except for Jesus. He is the only one who is perfect and innocent in every way. Uh, but he says he's going to testify not just against what we would consider to be the wicked, heathen unbelievers. He's talking to the Jewish people. He's talking to Jerusalem, to Judea, to the, to the Levites who are the priests. He's talking to the religious people, and he's saying, I'm going to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, those who defraud laborers of their wages, those who oppress widows and the fatherless, those who deprive the foreigners who, of justice who are amongst you, those who do not fear me. That is not to be a comprehensive list. It's just a sampling. The fact of the matter is, we're, if he made a full list, somewhere on there, each one of us would be included of those that he will testify against. But that testimony, and that being found guilty, here's the thing, it is, it is put on Jesus. But in order for it to be put on Jesus, you have to ask for the forgiveness, you have to repent of it, you have to acknowledge your sin, you have to examine yourself and see it and admit it. And that's the hard part. When we take a look at God's word and the standards that are in the law, and we see, well, it's just too hard, I can't do it, and we walk away. Or, I don't agree with that. It, you know, it's just something a bunch of old guys wrote a long time ago, some sheep herders, I don't really have to listen to it. 
we make up excuses why we should be able to ignore it. But the fact of the matter is, God says here, I don't change. This, this is my word then, it's my word still now, and it will be always. I, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His standards of perfection still stand. And so when we see our falling short, our areas of, of maybe even outright rebellion, just because we like it doesn't mean we get to hang on to it. We bring it to the cross and we say, here you go, Lord, I, I am sorry. I repent of my sin. I, I ask, I beg for mercy. In a little bit, we'll take communion. And I, I put in the bulletin, it'll be up on the, on the screen when we get to that point, but I, I put in the bulletin, um, you, you can uh, maybe look, oh, where did it go? I don't have one of your bulletins. Well, I'll just do it. Um, to prepare yourself for communion is part of what it means to prepare yourself in Advent. It's a similar set of questions. Do I recognize and acknowledge my sin? And am I sorry for it? And do I repent of it? Do I turn away? As the, John the Baptist is calling us to do. As Jesus calls us to do. Do I recognize Jesus is really present here in with and under the bread and wine with his body and blood for you, for me, for the forgiveness of our sins? And number three, do I intend with the help of the Holy Spirit to be transformed, to be changed, to turn away from my sins and no longer keep going back to them? Do I, do I desire to keep on sinning or do I desire to give my sin to the Lord and walk in His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy? These are the preparations for coming to the Lord's Supper. I added a fourth one in. Those three I just said are, are what I was trained to do when I was a child, when, before I took communion the first time, and it was reinforced all through the years. Over the years, it seems like they've added a lot of different things, like you have to get all your doctrine just right, but I, I don't think that that's part of what Jesus puts out. I think that's men trying to, to safeguard things. But I do think that fourth point I added is valid. Do you intend to forgive as you've been forgiven? Do you intend to take the bitterness and the pain and the anger and the frustration where somebody has sinned against you, do you intend to hang on to it or do you intend to give it to Jesus and let him take it to the cross and be done with it? Let him, if there is any justice or any judgment or any punishment or any vengeance to be had, let him deal with it, not you. Because he will dispense it perfectly, looking in the heart. And he won't dispense justice and judgment where it doesn't belong. And he has a compassion and a desire to save probably many more people than we might in our own heart, our sinfulness. So do you intend to treat others the way Christ has treated you? Going to the Lord's Supper is to receive forgiveness for your own sins, but also strength and power to forgive other people and to love them as Christ has loved you. These are part of our Advent preparations. As we prepare not just to worship and adore the newborn king, but as we come to recognize him as the king of everything, 
to truly adore him, not just in his meek and mild, but as his powerful, almighty king that he's going to be when he, when he returns, that he is now. As he has ascended into heaven, he sits and reigns even now, and he will to all eternity. Don't think, well, I'm a member of the church, so I'm okay. Or as he told them, don't think we can, you can say, I have Abraham as my father. I've been a member of this congregation for five generations. Big deal. God can raise up members for, from a congregation out of thin air or rocks or whatever he wants. Doesn't even need anything. Just make him, make him make them. Don't look at your pedigree as any source of comfort. You might look at it and say it's a source of, of a blessing, something to be thankful for, but it isn't something to build your life on. Don't look at how good you think you are. Look at how good he is and how far short you fall of it and that difference, you bring it to him to have him forgive it. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Everything that is low shall be lifted up. Every area of despair and depression and um, depth of woe, fill these things in with the promises of God and His comfort, His consolation. Everything that is high and haughty, every mountain and hill, every arrogant piece of pride needs to be brought down, leveled off. We need to be humbled before the Lord. Everything that's twisted and crooked and perverted in our lives needs to be straightened out. The rough edges need to be smoothed off. When we discover these great building projects in our, our heart, in our life, it's more than we can do. The best I think we can really do is to recognize it and bring it to the Lord in confession and repentance and ask Him, Lord, let me be your building project. Recreate me. Give me a new heart. Give me a right spirit. Renew my thinking. Turn me completely to you, Lord. Now, just because we can't accomplish our own sanctification doesn't mean we're off the hook. We're still responsible. But it means we need to take it seriously in, in our self-examination and our repentance and ask God for the strength. And he, and he gives it. My experience has been Sometimes I've had to ask for things for years before I can see any kind of traction and any kind of progress in, in a sanctification. And other things he'll take away in a snap. I don't know why he, he doesn't just transform me completely immediately. Maybe he knows that would just create the new problem of arrogance. I don't know. So if you feel like, oh, I've got this habit, I could never break this habit, don't give up asking God for help breaking the habit. Don't give up trying. But don't persist in trying it in your own strength. He says to produce fruit of repentance. Well, a branch does not produce fruit on its own. It only produces the fruit by being connected to the main plant. We don't produce the fruit of repentance in our lives on our own, it is the Holy Spirit at work in you that brings about the fruit of repentance. And the fruit of repentance is, first of all, confession, but it also is a turning away from the sin. All those things that we can find in, in each one of these readings. A fruit of, of repentance would include sharing your extra clothing, if you have it, sharing your food, 
not collecting money where you're not really um, entitled to it. Don't exhort, extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. You know, I think for police officers that, that uh, they get accused of doing that sometimes. Well, these soldiers here, they did as well. Be content with your pay. Not greedy for more. Not looking, what can I get out of it? There, there are many things that could be added to that list. This, this is just those three different groups that came to him. If we came and said, well, what should I do? What should you do? It's going to be unique to your life, or your situation, your station, your circumstances. But do examine your, your heart and say, Lord, what should I do? What, what sin should be turned from? Show me, Lord. And he does show us in his word, but you've got to be in the word. So if you're not in the Word, that would be a really good place to start with your repentance and your preparations. Get in the Word. I, I said it once when I came, and I'm going to say it as long as I'm here. Be in the Word. Let God's Word immerse you, change you, wash you, show you, illuminate you, strengthen you, help you, challenge you, sometimes accuse you or even condemn you. But it's better to be accused and condemned by the word of God's law now while there's time to repent than to wait until the last day when we stand before the judge and there is no more time. Don't wait. Be ready. I think we'll, we'll quit at that point. I, know, I can't. I, gotta, I have to just put the gospel in here one more time. Don't do it on your own. Um, the, the, the fruit is produced by God in you. The forgiveness is given by Jesus on the cross. The power comes from Him and His Word and His Spirit. Make your preparations. Do the hard work, but don't do it in your own power. Christ has come into the world to refine you, to purify you, as He says in Malachi. We have our Christmas cards with Jesus in a manger. I think it would just be uh, great to see a Christmas card with Jesus at a washing machine with a bottle of bleach. Because that's why he came, to purify us. To, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. He washes us, uh, not with soap, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. First John writes that. We are purified by his blood. We are cleansed from all sins. That's the source. That's the, that's the power. That's the strength. And to him then goes all the glory. Amen. We continue with our Apostles' Creed. We confess our faith. I believe in God, my maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Thanks for listening in this morning at St. John Lutheran Church in Sterling, Nebraska. If you're in the area, please join us in person. You can find more information about us at stjohnsterling.org and on Facebook at St. John Lutheran Church Sterling. Join us again for more of the biblical teaching of Pastor Kevin Arndt. And now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Romans 15.13